Hi everyone, and welcome to Off Grid, where we think that cryptic crossword puzzles can be an interesting way of learning all sorts of fun stuff. But we know that not everyone likes cryptic crossword puzzles, so mostly we're talking about the fun stuff tonight. We will pick three of our favourite clues out and explain to you how they work, but you can ignore that bit if you like. If the identity of the puzzle that we did is of vital significance to you, then I'll tell you that this time it was the independent puzzle, number 10950, from Tuesday the 16th of November 2021, and that was set by Tease. And a link to it, as always, will be in the show notes. Now, if you are new here, hi! Otherwise, you'll know who we are by now. I'm Dave. And hello, I'm Void. So, to keep the fun stuff varied, we will also have a little general knowledge quiz inspired by some things in the puzzle, probably. And that will be coming to us courtesy of General Knowledge. General, how lovely to have you back on the pod again. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me back. Well, you know, it just wouldn't be the same without you. (laughs) Right, listener. So let's get those clues in your brains slash out of the way, depending on how you look at it. General, would you like to read your favourite clue to us, please? Yes. So my favourite clue was eight across, and that is rugged comedian swallowing favourite drug, eight letters. And Dave? Uh, I went for 16 down, which says, country crowd at last sail from shore to island. And that's also eight letters. What about yours? Mine was nine across. In recession, the Parisian rents increase continually. Six letters. Right, you can have a think about those or, like I say, ignore them because we will explain to you how they work later and why the answers are what the answers are. But let's go straight in to some interesting stuff. General, which word in the puzzle did you decide to jump off from? Um, Yeah, so the answer to ten across, no, the clue to ten across included the word Brahms, nothing to do with composers or classical music, which is lucky because I know nothing about those things. It was using Brahms in the sense of Brahms and Liszt, rhyming slang for pissed. And it was referencing another term for drunk, which was blotto. And the answer was blot. So yeah, this led me to think about some nice slang uh, phrases for being drunk and as we get close to the festive season we're going to need a few of those I think but yeah kind of starting off with the the other rhymes for pissed do you know any others I I didn't know there were other rhymes for pissed no so oh yes as soon as you say them not jumping to mind if you're in Australia I don't think this is that common anymore, but there's a lot of rhyming slang in in Australia as well as the Cockney variety. Oh, absolutely. They might say, particularly if they're of an older generation, Adrian Quist. Do you know who (laughs) he is? And and who's he when he's at home? He is a tennis player. Ah, okay. But he hasn't really been active since the 1940s, so (laughs) I don't know how many people use that these days. But you might also be Oliver. Twist. Oliver Twist, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. And also Scotch Mist, which is quite a nice sounding way of putting it. I've I've heard that one in in the expression something like, and what's that then, Scotch Mist? 
as in something imaginary yeah like or if i just misunderstood the phrase yeah i think maybe it does have another meaning Um, well in in the in the drunk sense it's also quite nice because you know with rhyming slang you tend to just use the first word so you end up talking about scotch and kind of that that, (laughs) that's thinking about drink anyway isn't it yeah well it might be the kind of uh misty feeling you get if you've had too much scotch Scotch, So I had a look at a few others. There's a lot of nautical terms for being drunk, what with all those drunken sailors. So probably the most common one that we still use is three sheets to the wind or three sheets Uh, in the wind. You can also be one or two or four or five sheets to the wind, I discovered. (laughs) Any number you like. Yeah. But do you know the origin of the three sheets to the wind? Which sheets would be... a a word for a sail wouldn't it and mm. if you the more sheets you put in up to the wind the more your boat is being blown along so i, I don't know if it's uh, synonymous with being out of control or going fast it's almost that so the sheets they're not the sails themselves they're little bits of rope or chain that attach to the sails and they're on the corners. So if the ropes on the corners of your sails come loose and are therefore flapping in the wind, your sails are going to be kind of blowing around all over the place. And that and, will make and not your catching ship... the wind well enough. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to make your ship go a bit haywire and just lurch from side to side in the manner oh, okay. of, you know, a drunken sailor. Uh-huh. So yeah. that's probably where that comes from. You can also have more sail than ballast, which is a a similar kind of idea, although I I don't think we use that one as much these days. Um, I've not heard that. Not heard it, no. Any other nautical ones you know of? Well, there's. I don't think it means drunk as such, but there's tapping the Admiral. (laughs) Have you you heard that that one? No. Well, I can't remember if it's about Lord Nelson, but the idea was that to keep, let's say Nelson, to keep Nelson's body from decomposing on the journey back from Trafalgar to Britain, oh, where yes. he's buried, they put him in some rum. And yes. there was the probably apocryphal idea that you would uh, tap the barrel that he was in to get a drink of rum. Sounds vile. <laughs> that does sound vaguely familiar now you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Mm. One that I liked, I've got this from Merriam-Webster, is half seas over right and that means being just drunk enough to kind of successfully woo a woman or a man um, but not so drunk that you can't perform (laughs) so it's yeah half seas over just drunk enough and jingled is another one for being just the perfect amount of drunk as well although that's not (laughs) nautical as such so what does Uh, half seas over mean lit Literally, then I suppose it means you're yeah you're halfway across the sea towards drunken oh, okay, island. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one that was rattling around in my head is is one over the eight. Oh yeah, which I think is like the the drink that actually makes you drunk, isn't it? One yeah. drink too many. Yeah, so I don't know if that is uh, has a, a sort of seafaring uh, origin um, or if it's just the exact number of drinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, steamboats have you heard that one recently no I've heard of someone being steaming drunk but um, 
not steamboats. No, you can be completely steamboats, <laughs> which the origin is a bit unclear of that one, but it could be more rhyming slang. It could it could be rhyming slang for um, steamboat willy, like silly. Silly. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, never Steamboat Willie, was that an early Mickey Mouse cartoon? Is that where that's yes. from? Oh, the yeah. first Mickey Mouse cartoon was, was yeah. called that, yeah. Or it might just be because a lot of drinking went on amongst passengers on the steamboats. On the We're not steamboat. really sure. So yeah, a couple of other random ones that I liked. All mops and brooms. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is either to do with having to mop up a lot after a drunken night, or... It might be related to, because there's another sense of all mops and brooms, which can be having very kind of dishevelled hair. Yeah. So maybe it's in that sort of general sense of um, looking estate. And then some really modern ones, which I'm much too old to to use. <laughs> Bungalowed, I know that one. Um, no. And I, car I, parked. I... So they're becoming sort of more prosaic as we go along. It's like... Yeah. There, so... there is a theory that you can create a synonym for drunk by taking any word, putting ED on the end of it and absolutely before it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they all Absolutely work. microphoned. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I was about to say I'm completely papered. <laughs> well, I've the last one I've got down is pyjamaed. Absolutely pajamaed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's evidence for uh, for Void's theory there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. So that's all my words for drunk. Drunken words. Yay. Okay. Uh, Shall we revisit the clue that I had? Yes. Yes. Okay. If you remember, my choice was country crowd at last, sail from shore to island. Eight letters. Structurally, that was a simple charade, but I picked it partly because the surface meaning was so nice and smooth. You can imagine this bunch of hunting, shooting and fishing types all piling onto a yacht for a jolly out to an island. Yeah. Uh, And partly because the answer is one of those words with an unusual spelling, and I think crossword headers like to just drop in something that's spelt unusually. So the definition here was country. Crowd at last gives us the letter D. Back on the nautical stuff, sail gives us a particular type of sail, in this case, jib, J-I-B. From shore is out, O-U-T. And island, as usual, is just the letter I. And you put them together and what have you got? Not bibbity-bobbity-boo, but Djibouti. I often wonder if an Arab chief were to settle there, would he be Sheikh Djibouti? Well, that's <laughs> that's a Frank Zappa song, isn't it? Or album. Is it? Oh, well, there we are. Shake yeah. Okay. Void, move us on. What about your word word to jump off from? Right, well, I wasn't immediately struck by any of the words as a source of inspiration. Nothing immediately suggested itself to me. So I thought, well, all right, why don't I try and do a bit of a connections run then? So I, I picked an interesting looking word and I thought, well, I'll see where it takes me. So I picked silver. Mm-hmm. as an answer. But I decided to start from a book which I couldn't actually get into. I've tried reading it several times, but I just can't get into it. So I can't actually tell you much about it. I'd read Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, and I liked it, so I thought I'd try another one of his. Mm-hmm. So I dived into his book Nostromo. It's roughly about the early prospectors for... Would you like to guess? Silver? Yay! <laughs> and would you like to guess Phew. whereabouts they were 
prospecting. South America? Yeah. Maybe more specifically... Uh, Argentina. Oh, Argentina. Uh, yeah, you've given give me another second I'd have got there. <laughs> I would have got there because, of course, it is. of course, the name of the country Argentina means yeah. made of silver or silver-coloured yeah. in yeah. Italian via Latin. And jumping then straight to the word Argent made me think of Rod Argent, whose name I think I was first aware of when I bought Tanita Tickram's first album and noticed that he was one of the producers of it. But I had been aware of his work before that because he had been in a band called, maybe not brilliantly imaginatively named, but they were called Argent, who had a couple of hits in the 70s, Hold Your Head Up and God Gave Rock and Roll to You which is probably most famously known by its cover version by Kiss. Yeah. Uh, and before that, he was in a band that had hits in the 60s with She's Not There and Time of the Season. Do you know that band? The Zombies. Yeah, Sorry. The Zombies. I was going to say, at least those, those song names were more familiar. <laughs> right. And so moving on immediately from Zombies, it is just one hey. step into the undead to get to Werewolves who can famously only be killed by... A silver bullet! Yeah, exactly. And this made me think, hmm, why is that then? So I looked it up, and apparently that tale of werewolves only being able to be killed by a silver bullet, it's not that old. It only Mm. goes back to early 20th century, or at a stretch 19th century, because in Bram Stoker's short story, Dracula's Guest, Dracula stated that werewolves originated from his bloodline. Mm. And at another point in the story, when Dracula was described as a great wolf, it was said that the only way to kill him was with a sacred bullet. Okay. And later stories evolved that into it being a silver bullet. And... Taking us back to music, Silver Bullet, Bob Seger formed the Silver Bullet Band in 1974. And I can't really tell you anything else about the Bob Seger Silver Bullet Band. I'm not well up with them. So just don't know why I brought it up, really. Just just because of the name, really. But in passing, I've got a quick music quiz question for the listener. And I'll tell you the answer later on. Which UK number three hit song? hit rock song, of 1972 will give you the title of a UK number four hit from 1980 if you put the word dream into the middle of its title. The first artist also had a song which gave its name to a splinter group, arguably more famous than the original band, and the second artist is named after a place. Crikey. I'm glad that's not a question from me. Feel free to rewind that. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll give you the answer Ooh, in the credits. I, I, I might have to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you a chance to <laughs> to have a stab at it later, Dave. But staying otherworldly, we spoke about ghosts in the last episode, mm-hmm. and Rolls Indeed. Royce had a car called anyone. 
well, they, they've got a silver ghost and they've got a silver phantom and many, many kind of uh, silver this, that and the others. Yeah, They do. They had a whole bunch of silver cars. The silver wraith. Uh, the silver ghost was first produced in 1907 and it was the first of that so-named series. The silver yes. dawn, the silver cloud, loads of them. And the last one was the silver seraph, which was made up until 2002. And, and after that, it's silver sand seraph. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I've got a question for you two now. Right. Oh, no. In in two parts. The first part easier than the second. What is the spirit of ecstasy and why could it be argued to have had its peak success in 1977? Well, I don't know about the second half of that question, but the spirit of ecstasy is the name of the uh what's the word the the hood ornament that Rolls-Royce put on the fronts of their cars. Yeah, absolutely. But whether it's something else as well. Now, that's the, the context we're looking for. Okay. Um, All I can think about with 1977 context is Star Wars. Oh, no, not connected with Star Wars. <laughs> Which is probably right, now, not. now that you've identified what the spirit of ecstasy is, how might you describe it, in other words? Ooh. What's it look like? Well, it's a wing. It's it's a winged figure, oh, well, can, or or it's or it's a it's a female figure with sort of is it wings or is it merely a kind of a floaty dress that kind of swings back in the wind? Ooh, I think the latter. Yes, but yeah, so what colour is it? Like an angel, well, is it, it? it? It's presumably silvery, I would imagine. It is. It is silver, and female figure. Another oh, word for that. This is gonna. Is this to do with the jubilee? No, oh, no. Also, no. Are we we were back on music again? Are we? We are. Yeah. The oh, spirit of are ecstasy. We think we're David Soul, aren't we? There we go. It's it's, <laughs> it's Silver Lady. Yeah. And David Soul had a hit record, a number one hit record in 1977 with Silver Lady. Very good. Ah. But another question for you: What is the most famous character played by David Soul? Ah. So our brains are going are going Starsky and Hutch. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> am I am I on the right lines? Uh, which one do you think it is? <laughs> Starsky. Starsky was played by Paul Michael Glazer. Hey! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> and David Soul did play Hutch, but I would argue that David Soul has played a more famous character because, of course, David Soul played the character of Rick Blaine from Casablanca. Did he? In in what context? <laughs> yeah, not in the 1942 film. Clearly not. Humphrey Bogart played Rick Blaine. But in the 1983 TV series based on the film, which lasted for how long? Oh, I thought you were going to say four episodes. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Ridiculous. It was five episodes. That was it. Oh, there we are. <laughs> and this TV series also featured Scatman Carruthers as Sam and as the barman Sasha, Ray Liotta. Wow. Who, yes. in 2001, starred in the film Heartbreakers, whose cast also included Gene Hackman, who I know you're immediately thinking was, yes, the winner of the Silver Bear Award for Best Actor in Mississippi Burning. Wow. Also, Anne Bancroft, who won the San Sebastian International Film Festival Silver Shell Award for Best Actress for The Miracle Worker. Okay. 
magician and car thrower Ricky Jay was also in it, who we all know played Mr. Silver in 1988's <laughs> Things Change. <laughs> Carrie Fisher was in it too, who played Judy Silver in, yes, correct, 2003's Good Morning Miami. Yep, yep. Yeah. And the <laughs> actor-comedian Sarah Silverman, Silverman had a small part, yes, well done, in the 2001 film Evolution, which featured a meteorite bringing alien life forms to Earth. Yes. And one other actor in the film Heartbreakers was Sigourney Weaver, who yes, yes in yes. 1979 played Ripley, a crew member of... The Nostromo, which, which brings is you where we circle. came in. Yeah, oh. it's marvellous. <laughs> the nice. spaceship in Alien, uh, which... Of course, I don't need to tell you, won an award for Best Cinematography and Special Effects at the San Sebastian International Film Festival, and that award was the Silver Seashells. Of course it was, yes. Phew! All these silvers. It's a good word, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's connected. Right. I need a rest. General, tell us your favourite clue, please. (laughs) Yeah, so mine was um, Age Cross, Rugged Comedian Swallowing Favourite Drug. And it was eight letters. Looking at this, the word swallowing gave me a bit of a, a hint as to what type of clue we were looking at, which was maybe going to be some kind of contents and container clue. And I know that the word favourite uh, in crosswords is often pet. And that kind of led me to get the rest of it, thinking about words for comedian. And that was card. And again, the favourite drug of crosswords, E. So that gives us carpeted, which means you then have to go back and read the clue again because it's not rugged at all. It's rugged, which I thought was very nice misdirection. So rugged, like covered with a rug or a carpet. Okay, Dave, pick up your script and take us away. All right. I was picking the word orphan, which was at uh, 21 down. And so that did strike me because, you know, uh, everyone's familiar, I think, with orphans and widows in print, are we? Yes, I had an inkling this might be where you went with it. Well, I'm only <laughs> partly I don't think going. I am. I'm only, me. I'm only partly going there. Well, rather entertainingly, you know, the OED has citations for, for all the words uh, and little um, quotations of, of them in use. And the one for orphan here is from the Word Perfect Software Reference Manual of 1990, <laughs> that classic work of literature, which says, when the last line of a paragraph appears alone at the top of a page, it is called a widow. And when the first line of a paragraph appears alone at the bottom of a page, it is called an orphan. Oh. So there we are. Now, I don't know if either of you have heard of Robert Bringhurst. No. He is a Canadian poet. Bring me the hearst of Robert, of Robert. Garcia. No, no, <laughs> no it doesn't sorry. quite work, does it? <laughs> yeah, he's a Canadian poet, but he's also the author of one of the canonical works for people interested in typesetting, which is called The Elements of Typographic Style. He's got a lovely section called Etiquette of Hyphenation and Pagination, which talks about all the things <laughs> you should and shouldn't do to make an elegant page. Uh-huh. And the reason I bring up this dreary story is the very last of these rules, which to make sure people don't start applying rules in a sort of dogmatic and insensitive way, the last rule says, abandon any and all rules of hyphenation and pagination that fail to serve the needs of the text. (laughs) 
So here are the rules, but don't be a dick about them. Well, it makes sense that he's a poet because that's what poets say as well. Is like have all the rules, but then break them. Yeah. Well, I, in terms of poetic stuff, I've got a, a quote from him that I rather like, which he says, an ancient metaphor, thought is a thread and the raconteur is a spinner of yarns. But the true storyteller, the poet, is a weaver. The scribes made this old and audible abstraction into a new and visible fact. After long practice, their work took on such an even, flexible texture that they called the written page a textus, which means cloth. Mm. Which is true, because the word text does have the same etymology as textile, something woven. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lovely thought, really. So while I was in the OED, I thought I'd look at orphan and, and see if there might be something fun in the etymology of that. And there isn't. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it comes straight down via the Latin orphanus from the Greek orphanos, having meant much the same thing all the way, which is kind of, oh, that's a bit dull. But there is a rather sad use of the word in a phrase in relation to pharmaceuticals. An orphan drug is one that is neglected in terms of research or funding because it is medically useful only against a rare disease or one that affects economically poor groups of people and is therefore not commercially viable. That's right. a bit sad, isn't it? Mm, yeah, there are orphan diseases as well, you know, it's similarly. The related mm. thing, isn't it? I think, yeah, yeah. So just on a final cheerier note, I suppose, so <laughs> I'm going to sort of lighten the mood after. I've got some other typographic terms if you want them. Yeah. Do we know Always. about... What do we know about pigeonholes and rivers? A good day out. <laughs> My friend Adam once said to me, completely apropos of nothing, huh, wouldn't it be weird if you found a pigeon in your pigeonhole? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, <laughs> this is true. Is it <laughs> this is true. These days, you definitely. You'd kind of look at it and go, fair play, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, I'd never really thought of it, but pigeonholes as in the small slots where people leave letters for one another look a bit like a space in a dovecot where pigeons would breed. I, I guess that's presumably where that's come from, yeah. I suppose if they were carrier pigeons and they were actually carrying letters, then it would be that kind of meaning, wouldn't it? Slot the two contexts together, yeah, exactly. very nicely. Well, in a in a typographic context, uh, both of those terms relate to word spaces. Oh, okay. If you've if you've got fully justified text and you happen to have an excessively wide word space in a line, which sometimes you do, then that's called a pigeonhole. And that's quite a nice image that comes yeah. up. I think, cool, look at that space. You can roost a pigeon in there. <laughs> and then if by chance the word spaces in several successive lines happen to line up with each other, causing a noticeable sort of white streak to run down the page, and that's called a river. Oh, okay. So, Void, uh, what about the uh, explanation for your choice of clue? I picked nine across. In recession, the Parisian rents increase continually, which I'm told is true. (laughs) And the answer to this is spiral. In recession is an indicator phrase telling you to write some things backwards. And the things you need to write backwards are la, which is the... Parisian, in other words, the French word for the, 
and then rents, not as in the payments you make to a landlord, but a rent, a rip, a gash in a cloth, for example. So you need to write rips backwards, which is LA rips backwards, which gives you spiral for a definition of increase continually. Uh, very fairly clued. Everything was straightforward there and the nice surface as well, which yeah. made complete sense. So good clue. Time for the general <laughs> knowledge quiz. What have you got for us? Okay. So the first question is to do with um, the answer to 13 down in this puzzle, which is You'll be excited to hit virologist because <laughs> we haven't all had enough of things viral. But your question is, when do you think the term virus in the specific sense that we use it now first kind of came into usage in English? Hmm. Well, I'd start by wondering when we were first aware of things as small as viruses yeah so you've got you've got microscope technologies at the very least haven't you yeah so i'm going post robert hook and paracelsus and whatnot um and then there's the the germ theory of medicine isn't there which is actually surprisingly late i'm going to go late 19th century yeah i was thinking sort of 1860s or something like that so yeah Oh, no, I'm thinking much later, 1897. Uh, 80s or 90s, okay. Did you say 1897? I did. It is 1898. Oh, very good. (laughs) I think you can have a point for that. Um, All right, question two, ready? Yeah. So 25 across, the answer was Bassett. Bassett hounds, they're lovely, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) I've got three Bassett cartoons in my ear. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the question. Oh, right. oh sorry. <laughs> Do you know which TV character had uh, a basset hound called Dog? Yes, he's been referred to in an earlier episode of this very podcast. <gasps> no. And so is his wife. Is it Columbo? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was a bit easy then because so, you so were able to <laughs> when, think when you When you move on to the next question, you have to say uh, one more thing. <laughs> That's one more thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I can give you I can give you bonus points because that was a bit too easy for okay. any any other basset hounds from popular culture. There's a lot of them. I think you know probably because they've got this very visually distinctive uh, look with the floppy ears and everything. They pop up in cartoons and, and comics and TV quite a lot. Yeah, you already yeah. Well, Fred, I mean, as I, as I mentioned, yeah. Fred. Yeah. Yeah. I think I get confused between basset hounds and bloodhounds because they look quite similar don't they, they they're are probably similar. There's quite similar quite, breeds quite a few bloodhounds in in disney but there are a few basset hounds as well mm, uh, i feel like bertie worcester might have had one at some point mm. Mm, don't know but Maybe. I, I can't bring any to mind no okay me Do you neither want to hear some? Yeah. go on fire <laughs> away yeah so with the disney ones we've got um toby in basil the great mouse detective Oh, classic film that. Yeah. Okay, never seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's a sort of it's a sort of uh, Sherlock Holmes pastiche. Yes, mm. he belonged to yeah to Sherlock Holmes. Stella, do you know what which film she was in? A more recent one. Nope. 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 Princess and the Frog. Okay, I've not, not seen, seen it. it. It's very good. 
I believe you. And Lafayette, could you hazard a guess at which Disney film that might be in from the name, perhaps? Uh, Lady and the Tramp? No, but similar vintage, if not Uh, older, in fact. uh, Beauty and the Beast? 101 Dalmatians? Aristocats? Yes, Aristocats. Yeah. yeah, obviously, dog's not the first thing you think of. <laughs> no, but the the name was vaguely familiar, so I knew it was going to be one that was within my scope of knowledge in the way that the other one wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> and the the cartoon dog Droopy is technically a basset hound. I don't know if you remember him. He he was a kind of you know, you know what I'm happy. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but he was one. odd because he was kind of. A bit anthropomorphic, wasn't he? Because he walked around on two legs. So, yes, he doesn't uh, look quite so. Um, not a so, classic. So basset basset hound-y. I think I get no, in the, in the same deputy dog mixed up in my yeah. head. Yeah. Can't in the same way that Snoopy is a beagle, but he doesn't really look like one. Yeah, right. exactly. And there was one in the Dukes of Hazard as well. Oh, uh, yes. Was it, was it the deputy? Flash. Was it Cletus? Was his name who, who had a dog, didn't he? Yeah. He was carried, carried it around all the time. The yeah. The sheriff, yeah, mm. had the. Uh, Flash, the the basset hound. Yeah, so there's loads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did just include this question to get uh, Dave's impression. Silly out. voices out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So one more thing hey. is your third question. Proust was in the clue for three down. So he was. How many volumes was his magnum opus published in so in search of lost time a la recherche de temps perdu i think it was i've got six or seven in my mind and i'm wondering if it's even more than that but i'll i'll stick with the thing that popped up i'll say seven in the advanced stage I've no idea. So I mean, if I, I I were to kind of just say, oh well, let's say nine, then then it would be kind of uh, <laughs> plucking a number out there. Although if I did and it turned out the answer was eight, then it would be very nice and and, and neat, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, it's not eight. It's not nine. It is seven. It's seven. Well Ooh. done then. Point for void. How many pages do you think that all adds up to? Oh cripe! So probably. I mean, he's famously verbose, isn't he? Um, mm. Prolix. Same to you. <laughs> <laughs> the dog's prolix. Yeah. Uh, let's say 8,000 pages. Okay. Dave? Uh, well, so that, w- that would be assuming more than 1,000 pages per volume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think writers who write big books they write big books to start with and then well i was going to say and then they taper off a bit but on the other hand um jk rowling did the other way around didn't she started off with short <laughs> books and then they got bigger and bigger i would say perhaps slightly less than that let's say seven thousand it's only three thousand two hundred in fact. so they were slim volumes then they were slimish yeah oh. although it goes to a bit longer in translation mm. so Yes, whether his translators are just even more prolix or whether there's something about English words being longer, I don't know. But it's like 4,000 in in English, um, in the modern English translation. There are certainly standard kind of ratios for translating from one language to another. So if you've got multilingual documents... And, or a document that you know is going to be reproduced in French and German and Spanish or something, you've got to allow a certain amount of white space right. because some of the languages take up more space. 
Yeah. Interesting. It's just a kind of known theme. Okay. Mm. And how many, this is the final bonus question, how many characters, and I don't mean letters. I mean Skipping right over words. 40,000 40, A's and 735,000 E's. No, I mean uh, people that appear in um, in Search of Lost Time. Ooh, I've no idea. See, I don't actually know much about his book apart from the famous quote about the smell of madeleines, or is it the taste yeah, of madeleines? Well, I... Um, so I don't know what period of time it covers. If it's just his early years, or if it extends to his whole life. So I've got nothing to go on really. I'll just take a stab at. Oh, 741. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to hazard a guess that it's one of those questions that it turns out to be uh, unexpected and it will turn out that there are like only five characters in the whole thing or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he just sort of doesn't mention lots of people by name or anything like that. Yeah, I was surprised by the answer to this. It's not... I've now got a feeling it might just be somewhere between our two answers. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's one, isn't it? <laughs> it is 2,000. Oh, 2,000? Wow. Oh, yeah, well, there we are. Roughly. <laughs> so, yeah, quite a lot to remember there. <laughs> Do you know the what time span the, the I'm, seven I'm pretty cover? sure it's, it's a long time. It's a sort of whole life, if not several lives get covered mm. so you know i guess you meet a lot of people in a lifetime i don't think i've met that many mm. yet <laughs> but yeah yeah i've, I'm just I've thinking definitely about... met that many people i just wonder how many of them i'd remember or would want to talk about <laughs> yeah yes. i don't think i'd want to write them or, write or would them recall the names of no yeah. no i was well gonna done. say I was going to say um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the hundred years of solitude that mm. kind of goes through multiple generations of this family. At which point, you do I need a map of who all these names are to yeah, remember yeah. who's what? And <laughs> was that his father mean, or his grandfather? Yeah. Well, yeah, bit, exactly. And but when you've got biblical, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, those kind of families that reuse names as well, and therefore, you know, some authors when they're writing a thing will make sure that everybody's got a distinct and separate name. And you go, actually, in real life, you you might know, you know, three Steves and five Jackies and whatever. You and, yeah. and if you do that in a novel, it's like, well, which Steve is this? Who said that? <laughs> Yeah, I get very alarmed when uh, in the Archers they've got some characters with the same name, which is realistic, as you say, but yeah. it's very confusing, especially when it's something that's audio only, as you can imagine. Mm. Yeah. Okay, folks, I think the sands of time have just about run out for this episode. Thanks for listening once again. If you have been listening via a platform that lets you give reviews, please drop us a nice write-up. Or at the very least, five of their shiniest stars. These things do help the podcast get noticed. Full details about the episode and all those before it, as usual, will be at offgrid.tlmb.net. And you can fling peons of approbation directly at us via Twitter, where I'm at Skirwingle. And I'm at the void TLMB. General, would you like to recommend anything to our listeners for this episode? Uh, yeah, you might like to follow Archelina on Twitter and solve some crosswords by Angel in The Independent. Yeah, it's been a good one of those out just recently. Very recently. It was marvellous. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us again, General. A pleasure as always. 
See you next time, folks. Bye, 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 bye. Bye. That was Off Grid. Thank you once again for listening. And hello, Portugal. We've got new listeners in Portugal. Thank you for tuning in to us. Do give us a review, a rating, leave a comment on our blog. All of that stuff really helps us, especially if you subscribe. But now, you're still here. You want to know the answer to my question from earlier? Well, Dave, I think you've got a clue, haven't you? What do you think the answers are? Well, I, I've got the names of the songs, but not necessarily the artists. I think it was Silver Machine and Silver Dream Machine. Ding points to Dave. That's Silver Machine by Hawkwind, who had a splinter band called Motorhead, who I think are probably on balance just about a little bit more famous than Hawkwind. And Silver Dream Machine by David Essex, who's named after Essex. Right, that's it, folks. See you next time. Bye-bye. And Silver Machine as a cover version also by the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, who I went to see in concert just this week. So I did hear a version of that song. (laughs) You were primed. I forgot to thank the Trudy, but never mind. They can survive without without one one week, yeah. yeah.